opening and closing theme is by Midnight Syndicate. For more dark instrumental music like it, visit www.midnightsyndicate.com or find them on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, or Alexa. True crime stories are discussed in this podcast, which may contain graphic and disturbing content. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Freshly Brewed Noir. I'm Summer. And I'm Jennifer. And this is episode 38, Joseph Roy Metheny. Yeah, this one is one that I went into thinking it was going to be one way, and then it was completely different. Because you thought he invited people into his restaurant and then would kill them and cook them and eat them, right? Just from looking up this person's name, yes, you would think this is what this case is about. But in diving deep into the case records, (laughs) it's a little different. Okay. I'm very interested. I didn't read any of your notes, so... I know you came from a party. I did. I came from a party, a friend's birthday. And I am fully carved up, but not too much because I can't be sleepy. Right. You don't want to be sleeping during recording. No. They knew that I had to record after this. So I just, I ate an appropriate amount of fried rice. There was Korean barbecue. It was delicious. So. Is there ever an appropriate amount of Korean barbecue? It's like, I feel like you just eat all of it. Until... I, could, I could have. <laughs> it was great. So you've had your Asian food. I had a little hot dog in preparation for this episode. (laughs) I came in and I brought Jennifer a piece of Trace Leche's cake. She was eating a hot dog. (laughs) Those go great together. (laughs) I mean, I enjoyed it. (laughs) Good stuff. It was Costco. Well, everything's good at Costco. Agreed. Well, you ready? Let's dive in. So Joseph Roy Metheny was born on March 2nd, 1953 in Baltimore, Maryland. He was one of six siblings and was neglected as a child since his father was an absent alcoholic. This left his mom having to work multiple jobs in order to provide for the household. She worked as a bartender, waitress, and a food truck driver. She recounts that Joe was a well-mannered, normal child, was a smart student, and she tried to make sure he had a good childhood. She stated, We weren't rich, but we always had something to eat and a roof over our heads, and I never went on government welfare. He would tell people that his mother was deceased and that he was in and out of foster homes. He would make that up? Yeah. Why? For sympathy? I think he was just a liar, to be honest. (laughs) He would lie just to lie. So a pathological liar? Yes. And we will get into more of the things that he possibly lied about. Okay. So his mom was very much alive and did not know why he would claim that. But later, when Joe was six, his father was killed in a drunk driving accident. There's not much information out about his childhood, being that all we know is what he said and what his mom said. His siblings have never given any interviews, and their names are not widely known. That'll be a common thing in this episode, because a lot of what we have to go off of is what he says. And if he is a pathological liar, how do we know it's true? Exactly. Take it with a grain of salt. But we'll tell you what we know. (laughs) Okay. In 1973, Mm -hmm. after he turned 18, he joined the U.S. Army. He would claim that he served in Vietnam and became addicted to heroin while in the artillery unit. And I was like, why would you lie about being addicted to heroin? But maybe that wasn't a lie. That could be true. (laughs) So his mom would say that she had no recollection of him serving in Vietnam and that he actually served in Germany. So he did serve in the military. Yes. Okay. Just not where he said not he in the was. country he said he <laughs> served in. Well, yeah. Why would you change that? Interesting. Yeah. I guess when you're a pathological liar, anything's up for grabs, right? <laughs> <laughs> 
The details of his service are not disclosed, but it's believed that direct U.S. involvement in Vietnam had ended at that time. His mom noted that he distanced himself from his family and stated he just kept drifting further and further away. I think the worst thing that ever happened to him was drugs. It's a sad, sad story. So he did drugs. It's not heroin? He just I, think he was more, cool. I think he was more into cocaine. I think that was his drug of choice. Okay. After he finished his military service, he would drift around to homeless camps under the Patapsco River Bridge called Tent City. He'd work odd jobs so that he could spend his money on drugs and alcohol and would be arrested for crimes like drunk and disorderly conduct and assault. Eventually, he would obtain a job as a forklift driver for a pallet company and a truck driver. People knew him to be a smart, friendly guy in the workplace. His nickname was known as Tiny, even though he was 6'1 and was about 230 pounds with a teardrop tattoo. <laughs> if you look up pictures of this guy, immediately you see someone who looks like over 400 pounds. Yeah, the two you showed me, he looks like a very large man. Yes, but we'll get more into that later. Was that a lie too? <laughs> he faked his obesity. <laughs> he faked his obesity. <laughs> yes. So when he would drink, he would become aggressive and fight with fellow bar patrons. He eventually got married and lived with his wife in a trailer in Baltimore, and they had a son together. His wife's identity is not noted in any public records. In 1994, he came home one night to find that his wife and six-year-old son were gone, and so was all of his furniture. Like Metheny, she also struggled with drug addiction, and he believed that she left him to live with another man. This sent him into a rage, and he spent days looking for them. He would check halfway houses and under certain bridges where he knew that she would frequently buy drugs. Six months later, he found out that she was hooking up with a man who was pimping her out and living under a bridge. The state took their son because of neglect and child abuse. Because of Methany's criminal history, he was not able to obtain custody of his son. And this would be the start of when he would be committing his murders. This was the catalyst. I think we see that in a few episodes where it's like a devastating thing happens with a significant other and then they just are set off. Yeah. Well, in the comic book killer, he killed his ex-wife, but he was caught. I think if he hadn't have been caught, he would have gone on to commit more murders. I mean, yes, because he was so, he was the one who created all of these demented scenarios in his head. Yeah. So even though he only had one victim that he murdered, he probably would have committed more. Yeah. And with Henry Louis Wallace... He was committing all of his crimes because he couldn't stand his ex. Right. And was taking it out on all of those women. I think that's just a common thing when it comes to serial killers. Just, just scary. Oh, yes. You never know what's going to set people off. In this rage, he grabbed an axe and continued to search for her under bridges in the city. This is when he would find Randall Brewer and Randy Piker, two men who were living in a homeless camp under Hanover Street Bridge. He believed that they did drugs with his wife and knew where she was, and when they didn't disclose her whereabouts, he mauled the two victims with the axe. He also lured two sex workers under the bridge where he would brutally rape and murder them. After he killed them, he noticed a fisherman nearby, and he assumed that the man witnessed what he had just done, so he attacked him with a steel pipe, hitting him in the head and killing him instantly. So he kills four people while he's looking for his wife? Uh, five people. Five people. Yes. So the two men, the two sex workers. Okay. And the fisherman. And the fisherman. Yeah. So five, he kills five people. Right. In just this fit of rage. Yeah. With an axe. Mm. 
Unfortunately, I couldn't find the names of these three victims, and I'm not sure if it's because they couldn't find and identify the bodies, since he would later confess to disposing of the bodies in the river. Do you think that was a lie? No, I don't think this part was a lie. What about the fishermen? They couldn't find the fisherman's body? They couldn't find the last three bodies. Okay, so they only found the first two of the men that were under the bridge. Yes. Okay. So it was known that there were disputes happening between the people who resided under the bridge. Larry Amos found Methany's murder weapon and used it to kill Everett Dowell. Both were homeless and took shelter there. The bodies would be found on August 2nd, 1995, the same day in which Everett Dowell was murdered. Methany and Amos were arrested for these crimes. Amos was charged with first-degree murder, but would later plead guilty to the lesser charge of manslaughter. He was released after serving one year and nine months of an eight-year sentence. So, isn't that crazy? (laughs) Yeah, it sounds like our last episode. I was like, he killed a homeless man and then only served over a year. It's just murder, Jennifer. It's not a big deal, right? Of a homeless person. Right. So, I guess to them. Just eight years. Just eight years. Is... And this is in what, Baltimore, Maryland? Yeah. It's really sad. So you don't get life when you take a life. You get under two years. Yeah. Just depending on the situation, who you kill, I suppose. That's awful. In Methany's case, he spent a year and a half in county jail before it went to a jury trial. One of the jurors was undecided on his guilt, and the jury concluded that there was insufficient evidence to convict him of Brewer and Piker's murder. He was acquitted of the charges, freed after this, and then later confessed to those murders. So he got off scot-free. And that's why we talk about these jury trials and, mm-hmm. like, one person doesn't feel like it's right, then free a murderer. That's terrible. Of course, the state does have an obligation to prove their case. So this is true. I wonder if the state did a really bad job. I don't know how well they did. Obviously, there was reasonable doubt. And there you go. All right. The justice system. That's how it works. Kimberly Spicer was 26 years old and had stormed out of her mother's house after having an argument with her mom. Her aunt had overdosed on heroin, and her mom insisted that she try and get control over her struggle with addiction. Kimberly met Methany on Washington Street in South Baltimore, where he stabbed her to death with a knife. Her body was later found under a trailer less than 10 feet from Joseph Stein & Sons Pallet Company, where he worked. There's not much else known about this victim, unfortunately. Really? Yeah. So he he just walks up to her and stabs her? He doesn't say why? He doesn't tell us why. All we know is, you know, the circumstances. This is a confirmed murder, too. So they know it was him. He wasn't making it up? Okay. On December 8th, 1996, he kidnapped Rita Kemper and attempted to rape her. The two shared drugs together at the trailer where he was living at the pallet factory. Joe struck her twice and ordered her to take off her pants. She escaped the trailer, but he chased her and choked her while dragging her back. She would later recount, You could see the evil in him. Whatever Tiny wanted to do that night, he was going to do. He told me I could scream as loud as I wanted to. I knew he wasn't going to let me out of here alive. I wasn't letting this man take my life from me without a fight. She then stated that he said, I'm going to kill you and bury you in the woods with the other girls. And luckily, she escaped through a window and jumped a fence to get help. Oh, good for her. Wow. Yes, so she was able to survive that encounter. What other girls? We know of one other confirmed woman who was murdered. By him? Yeah. Okay. But before that, we should talk about the pallet company where Methany worked. 
Stein and Son. The owner of the business, Joseph Stein, aka Jack, and there's a lot of Joes in this episode <laughs> because even his son is named Joe. Joe's son is named Joe? Yes. Joseph's, Joseph's son. son is named Joe and they worked for a Joe. Well, this is why I refer to him as Methany in this. Yeah, because you'd be like, Joseph, who worked for Joseph, <laughs> and whose son is Joseph. <laughs> yeah. So to make things simple, Joseph, the owner, will refer to him as Jack. This then, is what he did go by? Or yes. are you just giving him a name? He did go by Jack. Okay. And his son will refer to as Joe. And then Methany. Is Methany. Yes. So Jack was involved with shady business tactics. He'd keep stolen merchandise there and sell it. Jack spent the majority of his life swindling people and being involved with crime. Solo Cup's plant in Baltimore took out a federal lawsuit against this business. The allegations were that Jack paid bribes to the manager of Solo's warehouse and to its clerks, and for those payments, they would sign false receipts for the delivery of a certain number of pallets, knowing that he'd shortchange them by the hundreds. This is like the red Solo Cups. Those are the ones. Two Solo employees arranged for truckloads of their paper products to be illegally delivered to Stein & Son, or they'd be transferred to another truck to be sold elsewhere. They doctor the books to hide their losses. Solo wasn't the only company that Jack was ripping off. Some of the other victims would include GE Industries, Sweetheart Cup, the Noxel Corp, and Beverage Capital Corp. He and his team would also be dealing drugs, trafficking guns, and would hire men to assault anyone who crossed him. He was also known to use arson against his enemies. It was the hub of a massive criminal operation. And this is something that a lot of media doesn't cover. They usually skip past this part and just go straight to the cannibalism. So they just glossed over all of the criminal history? Well, they skip over like where he worked and then the crime that was involved there. Okay. Well, that's not as exciting, stealing solo cups. Well, <laughs> I mean, there was basically... Man steals solo cups tonight at five, or a man invites people into his restaurant, kills them, cooks them, and eats them. Which one would you click on? This is true. And we'll talk more about that <laughs> later, because a lot of people use that title for clickbait and don't really tell the whole story. You're going to tell us the whole story, though. Yes. You're going to be well-informed after this episode. <laughs> Another podcast that I was listening to, The Misery Machine, really deep dives into this part of the story. I kind of tried to shorten it a little bit, yeah. um, but they do a great job. If you want to listen to them, do that. They do great research. But this is kind of like an essential part to the story because it's how he ends up getting caught. Okay. The reason that this is important is because Jack had a son named Joe, who we talked about, who would end up working there. Joe grew up most of his life trying to follow his father's orders and live up to his expectations. After he got married, he separated himself from his father and wanted to turn his life around. A few years later, he needed a job and his dad offered him a position at his pellet company. So you're like, okay, maybe I'll, we're all living family like, business, the right path, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, so my dad has a pellet company. We're going to be doing things the legit way. Okay, I'm ready for this. But once he saw what kind of business his father was operating, he went to the FBI. <laughs> On his dad? <laughs> yes. Joe's a stand-up guy. Yeah. And it's kind of noted that Jack's family, this was like the path. It was just... Expected that he would enter a life of crime too? Yes, exactly. So he kind of wanted to break that chain. Good for Jim. 
So he met with a special agent, Jim Fitzsimmons, and told him... Another J name. I know. (laughs) (laughs) But he's not a Joe. (laughs) No, he's a Jim. And he told him everything. So he agreed to help the FBI and would eventually wear a wire and secretly tape conversations that were happening at the company. He did this for more than a year until the end of 1996. One day, Joe's wife, Donna, follow me for a second. So Donna has a brother... And he also works at this pallet company. Okay. I'm still here. Okay. Right. His name is Quentin Ashbrook. So he tells Joe. The brother tells Joe. That he was drinking and doing lines of cocaine with Methany. Methany told Ashbrook that he stabbed a woman to death in his trailer and her body was still outside of the Stein Company property amongst the trash and needed help getting rid of it. This was Kimberly Spicer's body. So remember the 26-year-old who ran away? that's who he was talking about. Yes, that was her body that was amongst the trash. Once Joe informed the FBI about this, they had no choice but to shift their priorities. Obviously, murder was the more immediate problem. Murder over solo cups. Yeah, I would say so. Good job, FBI. Well, (laughs) obviously, you know, they're they're conducting grand theft. (laughs) The parties are just going to have to be smaller for a while. There's not enough solo cups, so... That's true. One day. Can't play your beer pong without your solo cups. Half a game. (laughs) (laughs) Have to cut it down. So Ashbrook agreed to wear a wire, which allowed authorities to record Methany's confession. On December 15th, 1996, Methany and Jack were leaving a company Christmas party at Martin's East, and authorities arrested him. Methany was charged with Kimberly Spicer's murder, and Jack was charged with being an accessory for allegedly helping him clean the crime scene and getting rid of clothes and other evidence. So Joe's dad helped him clean the crime scene? Yes. Oh, poor Joe. He's like, my dad is smuggling guns and stealing and helping cover up murders yeah it puts him in a weird spot because now he's like you know i always wanted to have like my dad's approval but what do you do with that i think he was definitely conflicted about what to do but he was like i just can't do this anymore i don't want to live in this life of crime i kind of want to do the right thing yeah good for him So Methany confessed to the murder of Catherine Magaziner. He states that he had sex with her in his trailer and killed her in July of 1994 and buried her body in a shallow grave on the site of the pellet factory. He said that he strangled her to death with his hands and an extension cord, then six months later dug up the body, decapitated her, and committed a sex act with her head and then put it in a box and threw it in the trash. Ugh, why? He dug up her body after it's already decomposed. Mm-hmm. Six months later. So at six months, what's left of a body? Um, I can't imagine a lot. So he had a sex act with maybe a skull? Possibly, yes. This guy is sick. Yes, he is. Her body remained there for two years until authorities located what was left of her remains and confirmed her identity through dental records. When he was questioned as to why he murdered her, he said, Sense of power. I don't know. Vulnerable? I dreaded. Just. I got a rush out of it. Got a high out of it. Call it what you want. I had no real excuse why, other than I like to do it. I don't know how to describe it. And this was an interview with him? Yes, when he was being interrogated. Wow. No better reason than I got a rush out of it. 
That's crazy. Did you see the episode on Unexplained? Which one? The one about the mind. I think it's that one where they go into serial killers and people without empathy. There's a part of the brain that literally is not lit up. And if that part's not active, then they say that the person is more likely to be a psychopath. Do they say like what percentage of people actually don't have empathy? I don't remember if they said what percentage of people, but I know they were talking about like, what if we could just scan kids and see which ones are going to be psychopaths and then we could address that and whether we help them or figure out what to do about it, then that could help the world. But then this one guy was saying that they did this study and he used his own family and scanned everyone's brain. And one of the scans came back with that part missing. And he was like, well, I didn't realize I had a psychopath in my family. And it turned out to be him. Oh, wow. What a plot twist. Right. And he said, if you had shown me that, I would have said that person's a serial killer. But he said, I don't murder people. and That we know of. (laughs) That we know. But he said he's a good person in society. He hasn't done anything wrong. He doesn't hurt people. So they... He just doesn't empathize. He said he thinks he does. That's the thing where he believes that maybe the mind is so complex that we still don't quite understand what we're looking at. So even though we say, well, when you scan a known murderer's mind, this is what's missing. But there are people walking around a society who are, quote unquote, good people, not hurting anyone who also have brain scans like this. That is true. The brain is so complex. We don't even use all of our brain. Right. It could be the nature or nurture thing. He grew up and, you know, maybe he was raised by parents who did right by him. And so he didn't become a psychopath. But he said people would tell him when he was growing up that, like, he was crazy or scary. And he never got what they were talking about. People did get this vibe from him. Um, through the television? No. <laughs> <laughs> So there wasn't anything, like, immediately that you could sense. No, and I don't know if we can sense that from a television. You're not around that person to feel their energy. But he said that people would tell him his entire life that there was something scary about him. And he said, but, you know, I'm a good person, and I've never hurt anybody. And it's very interesting. I think that we don't have all the answers for what's really going on in a psychopath's mind and what's truly missing. Yeah, I can totally see that. I'll have to check Absolutely. out that episode. Yeah, to check it out. It's really good. <laughs> so he pled guilty to the charge of murder and robbery, but requested for a jury during the sentencing phase. The jury sentenced him to the death penalty. However, the sentence well, was... That didn't go well. <laughs> <laughs> that was unexpected. <laughs> I told you there was going to be some, some interesting things here. So yeah, the, the sentence was overturned. And he was then sentenced to two life sentences without the possibility of parole. And I had to figure out why. Apparently, Maryland law allows the imposition of the death penalty only in cases where certain aggravating factors exist. These include killing someone while also committing or attempting to commit a carjacking, robbery, arson, rape, or first-degree sexual offense. The court was split on whether Methany should have been convicted of robbery. And the majority said that despite the conviction, it did not meet the definition of an aggravated circumstance envisioned by the legislature. The high court found that because the robbery happened after the murder, it was incidental. So it wasn't the intent to rob this person, then kill them. 
which I guess is what is required for the death penalty. There has to be intention. It can't be incidental. So the robbery and murder convictions were upheld, but the death sentence was overturned. And that's where he got the life sentence? Or was it two life sentences? Yeah. Okay. But either way, I mean, he's not getting out. Which is great. Yes. Authorities reported that his victims were young white women who were sex workers and addicted to drugs. His killings would usually involve brutal sexual assaults. It was said that he killed Tony Lynn Ingracia, age 28. However, the charges were dropped due to lack of evidence. He later claimed that he killed a total of 10 people, but it's not confirmed if this is a true statement. In 1997, Metheny was given a 50-year sentence for kidnapping and attempted sexual assault of Rita Kemper, the victim who was able to survive. However, the attempted murder charge was dropped. Now, he gives a confession years later, and we're going to read it. It's long and it's vulgar, but I'm going to read it as is. I'm ready. Okay, so to start out, I will tell you about myself at the present moment, which is locked up. I am 48 years old. I weigh about 450 pounds, and it's not all fat. I've been locked up for almost eight years now, but when one has been sentenced to a couple of life without parole sentences, time does not matter anymore. I have no problem with being locked up, for no one put me here but myself. And I deserve to be here, right where I'm at, because I had 12 law-abiding jurors that told me so in a couple of different cases. Ha. I was only convicted of two murders and one kidnapping for the one that got away. I got 50 years for her. The first murder, I was sentenced to life without parole. The second one, they gave me the death penalty. I sat on Marilyn's death row for three years, and they overturned my sentence and gave me another life without parole, and they sent me down here for the rest of my life. I killed seven people, three men and four women. Two men I chopped up with an axe under a bridge in South Baltimore. I was found not guilty for them because they couldn't prove it. Under the same bridge, I also killed two women and one man who was fishing, who just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. I weighed their bodies down and put them in that river. I showed the police where I put them about three years later, but they couldn't find them, so they could not charge me for them. My murder rampage started out as revenge, but ended up as a passion for the taste of blood and the overwhelming sense of power one gets for taking another life. My story. It all started back in July of 1994. I was at work. I was a truck driver. I was working overtime this one night. Then I got off and went home, as I always did. But when I opened the door and turned on the light, I noticed there was nothing there. My old lady had taken everything, including my son, and left me. Her leaving was not my problem. She took my six-year-old son with her. She was a crack addict and a worthless piece of shit. I would have paid her to get out of my life. All she had to do was take my son over to my mother's house, and she could have had everything else and be gone. I found out about six months later that she had moved on the other side of town with some asshole that had her out selling her ass for drugs. They got busted for drugs, and they took my son away from them for child neglect and child abuse. I had no chance of going to social services and trying to get my son back due to my past criminal record. So I took it upon myself, with the hatred I had for these two who lost my son, to go looking for them. I had found out from someone that they was going under the bridge and getting high with some homeless motherfuckers who lived under that bridge. I went under there looking for them. They were not there, but the two homeless motherfuckers that got high with them were down there. They were passed out on some old stinking mattress. That's where they were when I left, except they were dead from being chopped up. The same night, I lured the first crack horde 
down under the bridge. I got her high and was trying to get information out of her about my old lady's whereabouts. She acted like she didn't know, so I beat the hell out of her and raped her ass, then killed her. I put her in some bushes and went and lured the second bitch down there. I did the same to her as the last one, but as I was about to throw her in the bushes with the other one, I noticed an old black man down by the river fishing looking back up at me. I grabbed a steel pipe that was lying by and ran down on him and laid his head wide open. So I put the two girls and him in the river and weighed them down with rocks. Was the black man that was fishing, was he a homeless man? They have not confirmed that. They don't know his identity. No, but he was under the bridge, so they assume maybe. That was a very busy night for me. Five murders within seven hours. I washed up in that river and cleaned up the crime scene as much as I could, then left. Two and a half weeks later, I was arrested and charged with the murders of the two men I chopped up. I spent close to 18 months in Baltimore City Jail, waiting to go to trial. The trial lasted one week, and it was thrown out of the court because of lack of evidence. I was free again. I went back and talked my old boss into giving my job back to me at the pallet company. There was a little trailer on the property, so I told my boss to let me stay there, and I could keep an eye on the place. He agreed to this and gave me the keys to the front gate and main building. The company was on a dead-end road and was very isolated. It was perfect for what I wanted to do. I lured two more crack whores up to my trailer. I killed and butchered their bodies. I cut the meat up and put it in some Tupperware bowls, then put it in the freezer. I buried the remains in several shallow graves in a little woods behind the company. Over the next couple of weeks, on the weekends, I opened up a little open-pit beef stand. I had real roast beef and pork sandwiches, and why not? They were very good. The human body tastes very similar to pork. If you mix it together, no one can tell the difference. Everything was going pretty good until I ran out of my special meat. So I lured another bitch up to my trailer. I got her in there and started to rip her clothes off and knocking the hell out of her. She was screaming, but there was no one around to hear her except me, and I just kept on laughing at her. I turned around for a split second, and that was my mistake, for she ran out the door before I could get to her. There was an eight-foot chain-link fence with barbed wire on top of it around the front of the company. There was a stack of wooden pallets next to the fence about ten feet high. That bitch scaled those pallets like a monkey and jumped the fence. This is Rita? I believe so. And ran down to the main road where some guy in a pickup truck picked her up and took her to a nearby gas station where they called the cops. Well, I knew the cops were on the way, but I didn't run. I gathered up her clothing grabbed the keys to the gate, and went out and opened it. As soon as I stepped out on the gate, a cop car pulled up, and the cop jumped out and pulled his gun on me and told me to get on the ground. And that's where it all came to an end. They took me down and booked me. She had told them that I was going to kill her like the rest, which was true. They had me sitting in a little room down at Homicide drilling me, and damn near kissing my ass, trying to find out what I had done. They pulled me out of the city jail every day for one month, taking me back and forth between the company and the bridge. I had them going crazy over at the company, digging up the remains of the two bitches there, because I had their remains buried in seven different holes. The only thing I feel bad about in any of this is I didn't get to murder the two motherfuckers I was really after, and that's my ex-old lady and the bastard she hooked up with. Well, that's my story, horrible but true. So the next time you're riding down the road and you may happen to see an open beef pit stand that you've never seen before, make sure you think about this story before you take a bite out of that sandwich. Sometimes you never know who you may be eating. Ha ha. End quote. Well, I probably won't eat any. 
Not that I did before, but yeah, any roadside meat stands, I think, steer clear of those. I, definitely. I, I usually do. <laughs> yeah. I'll stick to my Five Guys or Ted's Yeah, for my burgers. Thank you. It's probably safer. But what do you think about this statement, this confession? It was so, loaded. It was. Now, obviously, there's some facts in it because he talks about the people that he murdered, that he was convicted of killing. And then he also talks about the woman that escaped. Yes. You would think if he was going to lie about something, he would lie about maybe the one that escaped. But I guess she's the one that got him caught, really, right? Because she called the cops on him? She, Yeah, she did call the cops on him. So, I don't know. I mean, there could be truth to that story. He was sick. I mean, he dug up a dead person and beheaded her and then performed a sex act with her decapitated head skull whatever was there that's true but so don't he you has think... no issues cutting up dead bodies clearly right so his attorney said that methany was remorseful and that the drugs and alcohol changed him and made him into a monster it was just the drugs and alcohol which i'm sure didn't help but I feel like you got to have that inside you to do that anyway. Yes, exactly. I just, I don't buy it that people do drugs or drink and then they just become murderers. I just don't buy it. I'm sorry. Yes. That evil is be... in you to do it. Right. I think it just amplifies whatever evil is in there. Good Unless you're happy drunks it. like we are. And it just amplifies our happiness. Oh <laughs> we just want to dance. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's how we are. <laughs> but he also said these words at trial... The words I'm sorry will never come out, for they would be a lie. I am more willing to give up my life for what I've done, to have God judge me and send me to hell for eternity. I just enjoyed it. So he's not remorseful, clearly. I guess that was his attorney trying to help him. <laughs> right. That didn't work. So. But I also want to talk about... The, the meat. Well, not just the meat. <laughs> Maybe the meat on his body. Okay. So... The narrative behind this Wait, guy. is that him in that picture right there? Yes. Oh, he doesn't look 450 pounds in that picture. Right. So it's kind of like, this is what he looked like when he was committing his crimes. But he still is a big guy. He is a big guy, yes. But I think why it's so sensationalized is because, number one, he said he ate people. Right. And served it to customers. Yeah. And then you see his picture, and he looks like... A, I don't know if you've ever played any zombie video games, but he looks like he could be like a zombie monster that you fight. In one of the pictures that you have up at the top, like his hands even look strange to me. Like the whole picture just almost looks like something from a movie. It doesn't look like a real person. Like a horror movie. Right. Like is... So was he that big after he stopped committing his crimes or before? Like he After. He got big after? In jail? Yes. What are they feeding him for him to get that big? Uh, he... Those simple carbs? <laughs> Jeez. That is true. I don't what? know what they feed you to. He may have a thyroid condition. <laughs> okay. Let's stop. <laughs> no. <laughs> I don't know about that. That's... That's not... He doesn't get that out. He is probably just lazy. Still, the pictures you showed me... We'll have to post some of these pictures. Because the one where you're showing me now where he was captured... You know, he's a larger man for sure. He looks like he's probably strong. Like when you said the woman ran from him and then he caught her. I was like, how did he get <laughs> I was thinking that from the first pictures you showed me. Yeah. But then I see this picture and clearly he looks like he could have easily caught somebody. Right. Yeah. 
So that's why I kind of feel like there's just a false narrative here. But, I mean, what do you think is false about it? I think he could have easily chopped up people and... Well, the way it's presented in the media is this 400-pound guy. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, I've killing people. never seen that picture of him. It's out there, but, I mean, you have to dig for look it. For it. Right. Yeah. People always go for that first photo. Yeah. With They're him. more sensational. And he's, like, screaming. His mouth is open. Yeah. He looks scary. He, he looks terrifying. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to lie. That's kind of what piqued my interest into this case. Yeah. But it's not... It's a very different case than I thought it would be. Right. I don't think it would have gotten the attention that it's getting if he didn't say he was eating people. Yeah. And look the way he looks now. Right. In prison. Which I'm still shocked that that's (laughs) like, what are they feeding him in Maryland? I don't know. What do you eat in prison? Prison food, right? It's a lot of simple carbs. Do you get seconds? I've never been. I, I don't know. Because <laughs> sure. if you're eating, like, they have, like, the set time frames for breakfast, lunch, lunch and dinner. dinner. Yeah. How are you? That's why I'm saying he may have a thyroid condition. No. <laughs> you might. Why? We're not going to give that to him. <laughs> okay. He'll get that you grace might. from us. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And I also think he's just a pathological liar because sometimes it's the random things that you lie about, like the little things or the big things. You really don't know. Because when he would lie about, you know, my mom is dead and, like, we were in the foster care system, that yeah, was false. that was just random. And then when right. he was when he was in the military, he lied about where he was stationed. Like, why would yeah, you lie about just lying like that? to lie. Right. So he could have lied about killing the fishermen. You know, he maybe he did kill those two men. And then they couldn't find the two women and the other man. So maybe he just thought that would make it an even better story. That could right. be. Maybe he just killed those two men and that was it. Yeah. My belief is that he was just, like, all we have to go on is his word, right? So I just think that he is probably making some things up in that. Yeah. And and trying to build some kind of image in prison. I'm here that for life. Be. I could... I, I killed... I murdered five people in like, 24 hours. That sounds scary. Like, don't right. mess with me. Right. And then I also, you know, ground people up and ate them. Yeah. So... Yeah. Come at me. No, that's okay. Exactly. And, <laughs> and you look like that? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Let me not mess with this guy. Yeah. So, okay. I could see that where he just wants to sound scarier, which, I mean, his story is already awful, but maybe he just wanted to put it on the next level. I could see that. Yeah. Yeah. Give himself some notoriety, maybe. Mm -hmm. So do you think he really beheaded the woman? Did they find her body and was the head missing? It was, yeah. Okay, so he really did that. I don't know if he did the sex act. Maybe he lied about that. Could have been, yeah. Like, you have to take everything he says, like, with a grain of salt? (sighs) Yeah. And that's the tough thing. It's like, when when there's no evidence, no bodies, it's kind of like, well, what do we have to go off of besides this confession? But let's talk about Joe Stein, the guy who ultimately helped to get Metheny arrested. So he, Yes, the good Joe. Right. <laughs> good Joe <laughs> in this story. <laughs> so he was eventually offered witness protection by the FBI. His wife did not want to lose contact with her family, so they just assisted in helping them relocate. They received $60,000 as payment However, the funds did not last long, and Joe struggled to find a job. He was... No, don't tell me Joe goes into a life of crime. I can't. No, no, he doesn't. Okay, all right. He doesn't. He's still, you know, hanging in there okay. or trying to. He was hoping that one of the victimized companies that he helped would have maybe given him a job, but that never happened. 
He says that they are a paycheck away from being homeless. His wife, Donna, says sometimes the wrong people pay for doing the right thing. It's no secret that without Joe's help, Methany would probably just keep getting away with these murders, especially since he had Jack's help. Like, Jack I... knew about this stuff. Yeah, and he would just help him bury the bodies. I mean, or he would just, just let Methany Just that, do that one. But it okay. doesn't seem like, I mean, Jack had his own, like, organized crime happening. In, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know? He's like, you focus on your stuff, Methany. I got my own stuff to focus on, please. Yeah, like, as long as you, you know, keep it under wraps. Yeah. Okay. Well, he wasn't able to keep it under wraps, which was good. But, but if he, if Joe had never given them up. More people would be dead, for sure. Yes. Yeah. That's a bummer that his life is like that now. Yeah. Like, he doesn't regret it, but he is, like, I'm struggling, and no one wants to hire me, and... But I thought they gave him a new identity. Well, they didn't, because, um... His wife didn't want it. Yeah, his wife still wanted to keep in touch with her family, which is tough. It's like... So do people look him up for job interviews, and they see he's related to his father? I think that's, I think that may be one of the things that happens with him. I'm sure not everybody does a deep dive into your relatives when they're looking to hire you. Maybe it's his father's legacy that's kind of like followed him and they're like, well, we don't want to take that chance that you could possibly decide to go back to that. So it sounds like they should have relocated maybe out of state. Yeah, I don't know where they are now or anything like that. So hopefully it stays that way. Now, speaking of Jack. He had his charges dropped after receiving a lengthy federal sentence for arson. His son says that he should stay in prison because he's not going to change and will keep hurting people. And on August 5th, 2017, Metheny was found dead in his prison cell at Western Correctional Institution in Cumberland, Maryland. And he was 64 years old. What did he die from? Was it thyroid related? (laughs) No. If it it was, you're going to (laughs) apologize. I didn't look into that. <laughs> I assume maybe he had a heart attack or something, but I he was just found unresponsive in his cell, and Could that was enough for me. Heart-related injuries are related to the thyroid, too, just putting it up there. But not always. But not always, that's true. I mean, he was, I'm sure, morbidly obese, right? He was over this 450 point. pounds. Yeah, so I'm sure that played a factor. Yes. But if the underlying cause was the thyroid, I'm just saying. <laughs> you are sticking to that. <laughs> I know it could be a possibility. I've just never seen somebody that large in prison. <laughs> All the ones we've covered, nobody's ever been that large. I don't know. What <laughs> what could it be? <laughs> I don't know. People are going to listen to this and they're going to have to Google him. Like, why, why are they obsessing about how large this man was? He is very large. Look him up. Pull post before and after And pictures. what is that picture of on the right? Is he holding his stomach? Yes. I don't know what the line is, though. That's I think in that's the middle. hair. I think that's abdominal Really? Hair. In that line like that? I believe it's so. Oh. I mean, what else could it be? I thought you would think it'd be dispersed a little bit more, but... Well, maybe it is dispersed a little. Look. <laughs> oh, I shouldn't have blown that up. <laughs> let's, let's just zero that back down. All right. I don't know if we want to show the listeners that Zoom did. Oh, we're going to post that. <laughs> but anyway, now do you see why I came into it thinking one thing, and now 
It's a totally different thing. Yeah, it's very different from what I thought it would be, too. I imagine this large man owning this restaurant everyone came to because they thought it, you know, had awesome burgers. And really, he was killing people and then cutting them up and putting them in the burger meat. But it's very different from what I thought. I didn't realize, like, solo cups would enter (laughs) the the story. Oh, they did. The big scheme that was happening. Yeah, it was a lot. A lot of Joes. For sure. We like cups of Joe. Cups mm-hmm. of Joe. Yes. You're drinking one right now. I, I finished it in a little kitty oh. cat mug. <laughs> At the bottom, it says feline good. <laughs> it's a cat shaped mug. <laughs> it's very cute. Yeah. It's one of my faves. <laughs> but that's the end. That's the Methany story. Episode 38 finally is here. No meth was involved. No meth. No. What about next episode? What is the next episode going to be? I, I have feel like we no need something clue. light. Okay. Can you bring us something? You know I light. can't. Do I ever bring light to the table? I don't. Well, maybe a couple times I have. You've brought hauntings to the table yeah. before. Okay. Unless just, you really just need a serial killer or something morbid, but I don't need it. I'll look up something. I'll try and find something for us. I mean, it's not close enough to Halloween to do vampires, which I do want to cover this year. Definitely. Yeah. Two months. Less than that, actually. I think it's less than 80 days now. But we'll see what I have. I don't know yet. Episode 39 will be a surprise. All right. Well, anything else? I think that's it. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat. Snapchat? We don't have a Snapchat. (laughs) TikTok. (laughs) At Freshly Brew Noir. If you have any episode ideas, you can email us Mm -hmm. at... Freshlybrewnoir at gmail.com. Yeah. And rate us. Five stars. Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Either one. Or both. Both, please. <laughs> but you have to listen to us to rate us. That's true, yes. <laughs> Alright, until next time. Stay caffeinated. Get hobbies. And don't murder people. Or make them into burgers, apparently. <laughs> Allegedly. Allegedly. <laughs> Bye.